1: Welcome to another edition of Irish Illustrated Insider, brought to you by irishillustrated.com. Pete Sampson with Tim O'Malley and Tim Priester. It's Mutual Disrespect Week, Notre Dame versus USC. Uh, we're going to get to sort of the news of the week first, then we're going to have a short interview with Ryan Abraham of uscfootball.com on Scout. His take on the Trojans, what's happening there with Clay Helton, etc. Then We'll get to our picks and obviously talk recruiting because they got a ton of visitors coming in this weekend. But just sort of... The news of the week: We had interviews on Wednesday night. I talked to Will Fuller. It was interesting to get his take on sort of Notre Dame's perception about USC's perception of Notre Dame. Um, Tim, you talked to Cavari. I, ta- I also talked to CJ Prosize. Um There was a lot. There was a lot. There was a lot to come out of last last night in terms of interviews and, and stories.
2: I think it's fascinating that when you, when you consider the turmoil Notre Dame was physically when they played USC to end the regular season last year, compared to where USC now is with, with of course, the loss of Steve Sarkeesian. They've been down this road before in a different way. Lane Kiffin was fired during 2013 and Ed Orgeron took over. It sounds to me like Clay Helton is trying to take a similar approach, keeping it loose, having fun. It worked well with Orgeron. I don't know that Clay Helton's the personality to pull that out of the, the, the players that are still there, but... Uh, you know, I, I just think the, the the huge difference here for Notre Dame last year against USC, they they weren't even close to being able to put a a respectable defense on the field, and it's a much different defense as they go into this. And so, when you consider all the things that are happening against USC, I know people are worried about. The media not giving Notre enough credit if they beat USC. Who cares? Just beat them, yeah. get to six and one, get to the bye week, and just take care of your own business.
0: You talked to Kavari about uh, you know kind of missing that no, game. No, Kavari and... talked to me <laughs> yeah, basically. But... I was gonna say I talked to Kavari and the separate blossoming entity that is his talents that he is cultivating. Um, Kavari, is there is there a guy other than Kavari Russell? That you enjoy listening to talk about himself, like he's charming in a way about how great he is to himself.
2: But it, I don't get annoyed. <laughs> well, I think by that's it. kind not, of a quarterback's yeah. persona. <laughs> I I just think it's hilarious that he's got this mind that he can't keep up with the thoughts that are going through his head. He tries. He because it was you and I had. We said, okay, Kavari, we each have one question for you. <laughs> we were alone. We were alone with him. And it, we yeah, it was just it was just Tim and me. It was Tim and Tim with Kavari, and my question took, and it's one sentence. It took five and a half it's minutes. One, it's one continuous rolling sentence, and it took four minutes yeah. for him to answer my question. Uh, I yeah. left. I don't know how long it oh, yeah, was. We,
0: mine was over five minutes, and right. uh, mm-hmm. it was talking about how well he's playing. Um, <laughs> which, no, I mean, and part of it is we did a study on, you know, Drive by Drive. It was published yesterday. And he is playing much better than Notre Dame fans think. And he made, he made a good point that I'm not making the big plays. So that's, yeah. Yeah. and that reflects on the study as well. But yeah, he's a very confident player. I thought it was great. Um, he was asked if he's ever had a crisis of confidence. And ever, all of us are laughing when this was said. There's like 20 people there. And he started thinking about it for real, if he had had one or not. And he, of course, came to the conclusion he had not. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah as, as prolific as an interview, it's like a, Kyle Schwarber
1: home run is uh, Kavari Russell's mouth. <laughs> yeah. It just keeps going and going and going. Uh, yeah, it was interesting. I talked to Will Fuller about USC game last year, and you know, this is a quote was, they pushed us around a lot last year. We know they've got no respect for us. Um, so I think Notre Dame comes into this game, and they can talk all they want about how last year was last year, and it was a different team. There were some different starters, but there's a whole lot of this roster that played in the Coliseum last year that's going to play at Notre Dame Stadium on Saturday night. So I, I think that's a real legitimate angle for this game. Kind of one of inside the numbers that I'm interested in is C.J. Pro Size is, has, is having an incredible season. I mean, there's, there's no way around that. You don't need to qualify that. But when you look at sort of his ability to pick up tough yardage on third and short, or fourth and short, and I define that as three yards or less. He's only converted one of five opportunities all year, which is kind of hard to believe because he's averaging more than seven yards a carry.
2: Kaiser's their short
1: yardage guy. Kaiser is their short yardage back. And so I'm curious to see how that develops. Pro size admits like that's a weak point in his game right now. Um, and you would think in a game like this, they're going to need third and two a couple times, maybe three, four times, because, I mean, USC's defense is not maybe what it was last year with Leonard Williams, but it's still a pretty good group. Um, can ProSize pick that up? Because I think the book is out. If it's 3rd and 2, they're just going to sneak it with Kaiser right. now.
0: And if you know that's coming, it's going to be a little easier stop. I think it's fair that CJ Prosize this isn't his strength, because this is the one time it shows that he's a neophyte at the position. He yeah. He's not used... That's, that's something you probably acquire over time, knowing how to get... Burrow in there and get one or two yards. Certainly, it's an art form that not a lot of running backs recently in have had. Theoretic somehow was able to do it after a couple of years off, um, and that's really why he kept that job. He ran exactly like Brian Kelly wanted him to. I, I don't blame CJ process for not being good at that because I think it's it's just mu- it's probably it's in no way natural to him.
2: Yeah, certainly, certainly the the loss of Steve Sarkeesian. I mean USC doesn't have that focal point right now, and you need leadership at the top, but. I don't think. I mean, we can't look past just the talent on, on this roster. I mean, Cody Kessler is inc- an incredibly efficient quarterback. Fifty-four touchdown passes, eight interceptions since the was beginning that of the last, years, last year. Was that last year's game? Yeah, that was. Yeah, that was. The, <laughs> that, was the, that was the first yeah, half alone. I don't, I mean, I don't like, remember Notre yeah. <laughs> No, they did. They definitely did not. That's what he's done since he's been the starter. I love their three running backs. I love Ronald Jones, the second, the freshman running back, who's, who's impressive. Juju Smith Schuster is the dominant receiver in their offense, and now Stephen Mitchell. I don't know how many people are aware of this. Stephen Mitchell, their number two receiver, a former Notre Dame recruit, right, Pete? Yes, um, absolutely. Is out. He has an ankle injury and is is almost undoubtedly out. So, uh, Adore Jackson is their number two receiver right now with, with 10 catches. So, his plate will be full because he plays, yeah. he plays everything. He plays the two return games, offense and defense. But, you know, a ton of talent. Sue Cravens loved that kid coming out of high school. He's obviously a, a premier player. Cameron Smith, a true freshman, is leading the team in tackles. This is still an incredibly talented USC team. And when, I mean, you can say about the distractions and, and everything that goes with that, but this is still, I mean, these guys are playing for contracts. If they're not playing for the mighty Trojans, they're playing for contracts. And so they're going to come in and play a good football game, I believe. I think, Pete articulated this pretty well on the board. All of us kind of
0: said that, the three of us said on Monday, that we don't think their focus will be there. I think it was a good point that it's not just rallying this week for a couple hours, it's they've probably been lacking in development since August camp because their coach was in no way... Dialed in like like Brian Kelly would be like yeah, most and, coaches, and,
1: and that was my point on the board. Is like let's imagine this issue was happening with Brian Kelly, and it was Brian Kelly who had been you know put on leave and then, then fired. Do you think that Deshaun Kaiser would be ready to play? Do you think Alex Bars would be ready to step in when Quentin Nelson sprains? Do you think CJ Prosser's game would have advanced as far as as it did? Do you think that uh, you know defensively that you could get Kevard Russell and Cole Luke back together, and you'd be able to get Redfield and then Farley and all those guys ready to go. Would Jared Grace have been ready to come in? I think the answer is like no across the board. Um, so I think could USC pull it together for a couple hours on Saturday night? Yeah, yeah, I think they absolutely could. But if this is a tight game, I think that's where Notre Dame's preparation and development are really going to come to the forefront and USC's lack of all those things is really going to hurt them.
2: I, I, when I saw that on the board last night that you put that up, I thought those were great points. Something that we don't consider because we get—I mean—we get so wrapped up in one side and not looking at the other side sometimes, and and it is going to be from a cohesion standpoint. And Notre Dame is—I mean—with the uh, yeah—they had to, they took a step back in losing to Clemson, but I, when the players talked this week about. Being cohesive and together, and you know, we hear those comments all the time about the brotherhood and what have you. But I don't think there's any doubt when you consider how many veteran players there are for Notre Dame this year that this is a this is a unified, cohesive Notre Dame football team right now.
1: Yeah. So, well, let's get a perspective on the other side. We're going to go to our interview with Ryan Abraham from USCFootball.com, and then we'll come back and we'll give our picks for USC Notre Dame. Ryan, thanks for joining the show. I guess just for people who don't have an appreciation of of what it's like on the ground in L.A. Describe what the scene has been like around the Trojans program this week with all that's happening.
3: You'd like to say it's really crazy, Pete, but unfortunately, over the last few years, it's kind of been typical. Every couple of months, you have some huge story off the field thing that's a drop everything sort of deal. And we had two of them back to back with one, you know, Steve Sarkeesian being put on you know, a, a indefinite leave of absence, but right? he did show up for football practice, and then the very next day, get outright fired after only 18 games. So it it's been really interesting around USC. I'm heading to you know football practice and checking things out there, man. It's, just, it's been a little crazy.
0: Yeah, I guess it's still kind of
1: early in the week, but do you get much of a sense of what kind of impact this is going to have on Saturday
3: night? It's so hard to tell because the game is the biggest game of the year for USC and you their fans and. Alumni, and nobody is talking about playing Notre Dame. It's maybe a cursory mention every once in a while, but for the most part, it's all about what's going on with the head coach, understandably. I mean, it's a, it's a very huge story, but it's going to be very challenging for these players to kind of block out all that noise and you know, and be able to focus on the game. Now, they, they've done it before, two years ago, with interim head coach Ed Orgeron. They went on a great run, and he won five straight when he was the interim head coach. You know, I think they feel like Clay Helton can do the same thing, but it's not going to be an easy pass going to a, you know, tough Notre Dame squad with really you reeling from losing your head coach.
1: Yeah, what can you tell people about Clay Helton? He's been the interim head coach before, uh, and, and they believe they won the Las Vegas Bowl with him. What What's his reputation around the team? What kind of coach is he?
3: Yeah, he's a, he's 1-0 as a head coach at USC. <laughs> so he's did, you know, do it two years ago, like you said, the Las Vegas Bowl. He's popular, and the players cheered when they found out he was going to be the guy taking things over. But his first is a lot different than at Orgeron. He's not the kind of rah-rah guy that you know people would run through a brick wall for. I think that's a lot of the reason why USC had such a good run after Lane Kiffin was fired. So it's going to be a different sort of feel, I guess, around this football team with Clay Helton. But he is popular. He's a good X and O guy. He, he was given the play-calling duties from Steve Sarkisian earlier in the year and their offense up until the last game was actually leading the Pac-12. So I think they like him as an X-0 guy. We'll see. As far as leader of men and leader of a football team throughout the majority of a regular season, it's going to be a first test for him.
1: You know, it's interesting looking back at the 2013 game with Orgeron, you know, so much turmoil with USC. It was a 14-10 game. Notre Dame couldn't move the ball at all in the second half of that game. And it's not like Notre Dame performed well at the Coliseum last year in that 49-14 defeat. So I guess like for USC to put this all together on the field, you know, if they can block out distractions, what, what goes right for them? Where do they, I guess, have their biggest strengths as a squad?
3: Yeah, you know, it's a very talented team, Pete. I mean, that's why they were, you know, at number six in the country earlier in the year and why people were so disappointed. The two games they lost, they were double-digit favorites. So they're talented. I could see them going to South Bend and completely lagging because of everything that's happened. And I could see them going out and playing pretty well. Um, you know, offensively, they were great until the Washington game with Cody Kessler throwing the football. He was, you know, 50 touchdowns, one interception. They've been able to run the football well. It just, the game plan didn't seem all that great for Washington. They were running the football well, and they went back to the pass. It just didn't seem to, to gel. And on defense, it was funny. They kind of turned things around a little bit against Washington with freshman quarterback, but they've had some rough games earlier too. So it's been kind of a and hide. You're not really sure what to expect. The offense might show up. The defense might show up. They haven't really seen both. It's the, the signature of this team has been chunks of play. Big, offensive, explosive plays. They didn't get a lot of that against Washington. So I think to beat Notre Dame, they're going to have to get more of those. So if you see you the big 40-yard pass from Cody Custer and Juju Smith, they'll probably be okay. All
1: right. Thanks, Ryan. I appreciate it. All right. Well, welcome back. That's what uh, Ryan Abraham had to say from the West Coast. Kind of a busy week for him. Um, for us, previewing this game, I mean, the storyline that I'm still writing about this week is that whole Navy hangover. Notre Dame's 2-6 and six the last eight years. And I think until this week I didn't have an appreciation of how – Kind of ugly those two were. Yeah. It was at Wake Forest where Notre Dame was losing at right. halftime, right. and then Purdue in 2012 right. where they needed a game-winning field goal and Tommy Reese to drive them down there. That like fourth-down conversion to John Goodman uh, falling out of bounds. So it's they've really struggled. My theory on this was that they were so prepared against Navy that they wouldn't be as banged up. But most of the players were like, "No, that's incorrect. We're still pretty banged yeah. up." Um, so I I don't know if that effect is. Still strong this week or not. I can tell you that if Notre Dame had played Massachusetts last week, I would be picking Notre Dame to win by 28 points. Um, but the Navy,
2: that Navy issue gives me a little bit of hesitancy on uh, just how well Notre Dame's well, going to play. In how many instances after playing Navy did they play USC? I mean, none, right? So, Zero. <laughs> so a little bit of a, a different animal here with this. But uh, still noted, because I look at Navy, I said this in the tail of the tape, I guess I look at Navy a little bit differently now. They're bigger, they're stronger, they're more athletic. You've got a six foot four, two hundred and five pound wide receiver that's blocking Max Redfield off the field pretty much. So, well. Uh, yeah, well, I, I mean, I know Max struggled a little bit, but um, you know, it's a different animal now playing Navy. They they feel more like a mid level Power Five conference team. So, but having said that, we're talking about USC here, and uh, you know, the here the, the, one of the stats that I think is is an interesting thing to look at is. USC has only allowed three plays of 40 yards this year. And Notre Dame has eight touchdowns of 50 yards or more. So, I mean, that's big on big there. That's, you know, somebody, something has to give in that category. And it's probably important that Notre Dame does get an explosive play for a touchdown as they've been relying on up to this point. Explosive player
0: two. Maybe. I, I don't mean for yeah. a touchdown, but they, I think they need yeah. a couple no, more yeah. of those. It's, yeah. uh, I think that Sean Kaiser's done a great job, but it's still the biggest part of this offense is they can strike from anywhere. It makes it easier. You don't have to convert all the time when you're getting down to the red zone against uh, athletes that USC has. I think Brian Kelly made a good point about the Navy hangover that it's not only USC, it's USC and then time off. I mean, they, they've, unless their bodies really cannot recover, and that is the exact reason why this is happening against Navy or after Navy. The mental focus has got to be 100% this week, better than, not 100% better, it's got to be 100%. They were publicly humiliated last year at USC. All As Pete said, those guys are here and back, and they have seven days, and then they're off for, but it, I kind of
2: don't like the mindset when you know a break is coming up. I mean, doesn't I it, think it would matter
0: if it was, uh, no, UMass is a bad example, I think it would matter if it was t- at Temple. As opposed to USC coming down,
2: right? The same way I'm saying they haven't played USC after Navy. I'm not sure that those stats apply. there. I mean, it's also midterms this week, which I think is which has always been during the Lou Holtz era. That was always an issue. I mean, because they rarely struggled. Right. Right. When they struggled, it's oh, damn it happened. Stanford, right? Stanford Stanford got them. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's they've been pretty good with that. I think under Kelly, if I'm not, I mean, it doesn't seem like it's been that much of a distraction. I mean, I'm I'm curious to see Adoree Jackson again. He did some really nice things against Notre Dame last year, and they were very creative with how they used him. Uh, he's at ten catches for a buck ninety six so far this year, only one touchdown, and there's an eighty yard catch in there. So if you take that out, he's averaging twelve point eight yards per reception, which doesn't seem like a huge number for him. Um, but how they match him up, I mean, certainly Notre Dame will be in a much better position to deal with him this year than last year it when Greer Martini. Yeah, it's, on I mean they line up. Midori in the backfield as a running back and then motion him out to hook him up with Greer Martini and it's like that's that's like Reggie Bush Derek Curry from two thousand four um or two thousand maybe two no, thousand three game We're just like that's just a terrible matchup and there's not a whole lot you could do about it after the plays snap. So can Notre Dame do a lot of more about it before
0: the play snap snapped this year. I think that's a real, real important part of this game. I, ask, I wonder if with you charting plays, you know, we talked about how the nickel hasn't been used much. Uh, do they have to go nickel this week? Uh, I know that puts Devin Butler on the field after the <laughs> yeah, bludgeoning of last year. I guess year. it depends
1: on who, who USC is putting mm-hmm. out as their third receiver. Because, I mean, Juju Smith is amazing and Adoree Jackson is amazing. But then once you get past those guys, I'm not sure you're getting uh, George Farmer of last year or Nelson Aguilar of last year or Robert Woods, Marquise Lee, where Aguilar was the third receiver. Um, I don't think their third receiver is going to be as punishing to Notre Dame as maybe they have been in the past. But I do think that's a great point. Notre Dame has not played barely any nickel. I mean, they didn't play a snap of nickel at Clemson,
3: which is... Uh, Which is surprising (laughs) when
1: you think that that would happen. uh, I think they're going to have to do that on Saturday. Uh, So it's, where does the Dory Jackson line up? Do they get him on Kavari Russell? Then I think Notre Dame can handle it. Do they get him on Devin Butler? Then Notre Dame's got a problem.
2: I think USC, I mean, clearly Leonard Williams is missed the same way, like if Sheldon Day wasn't on the Notre Dame line, as he won't be next year. They're not playing on the other side of the line of scrimmage. They only have 10 sacks. They're only 101st in the country and tackles for loss, and that's having played Arkansas, Arkansas State, and Idaho in two-year, five games, and then of course, you know, Max Turk is out at center for them, which that's a big deal is really, really significant. And I know Ryan Abraham talked about they've got a capable backup, but I mean, just imagine not having Nick Martin in a game like this. I think that's huge. I love Damian Mama. I so wanted him to come to Notre Dame, Pete. Remember, we spent some time around one of him. Your ch- yeah, he was—he's an awesome kid and a quality player, and he's becoming a good player. And Zach Banner, another former Notre Dame recruit, at right tackle. But there are some chinks in the armor for USC in the in the trenches on both offensive and defensive line. And I think we feel pretty good about Notre Dame's offensive and defensive line as a whole, with the Rochelle Day combination and. You know the young kids in the middle. I think Notre Dame they need to take advantage of that. I think there's some, some, uh, some issues on both sides of the ball in the trenches for USC. I mean, you look at their left guard, <laughs> their center,
1: and the right guard. If it starts out the way that's probably going to start, it's sophomore, sophomore, sophomore. Right. Three, now, talent, three second-year yeah, players no. who are really good. Yeah. But that that's a man's world down there, and if if you can figure out a way to get. Sheldon Day in one-on-one situations. I don't think that's a matchup USC is going to have a whole lot of luck with, or you get Rochelle in there sometimes, or you just blitz up the A-gap like crazy, like Van Gorder likes to do
0: with Jalen Smith and Joe Schmidt. That group is going to have a really difficult time. I want to give you guys four names for Notre Dame. Tell me how much confidence you have they're going to play well in this game. We'll start with Joe Schmidt. Uh, Medium confidence. I agree. Yeah, I agree. I, I tend to think he might have a better game than people think. Um... But I wouldn't go over
2: that as well. Well, I want to. He had a. In my opinion, he had a much better game against Navy than just about anybody thought. So I guess I'm in the minority on that. Kavari Russell. High confidence. I agree with that. I agree. I think
0: he might have a bit of a breakout game. And that doesn't mean he has to have a pick. I mean, his last pick was against Max (laughs) Winnick in USC. I so (laughs) wanted to mention that to him. It just seemed like I would. It seemed yeah. not a place, but you didn't to have another it. ten minutes, right? So I, I didn't have, have ten. Uh, it's true. I had to go <laughs> home. you were already you one question. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, after last year, Cole Luke, who had a very, very, very good 2014, better mm-hmm. than a 2015, and a very, very bad game against USC. Uh, uh,
1: medium, medium, because he. I mean, Juju. The problem mm-hmm. is Juju Smith, not Cole Luke, right. in my opinion.
2: Yeah, I, I agree with that. There's a there's a concern there. I
0: hope to see a incredibly dialed in Cole Luke. I mean, I think it's very important, but now you guys know where I'm going with this last
2: one. Max Redfield. Uh, well, I mean, when Elijah, when Elijah Shumate is clearly your most consistent yeah. safety, uh, it's a concern. I, I, I mean, you, you certainly like Max Redfield better in this matchup than he did last yeah. week. Look, he's a he's a great That's athlete. That's why I mentioned. He, that I, think, I I mean, I think he's going to rise to the occasion yeah. personally again in this situation. I'll go medium on yeah. that one too. Yeah. Um, I mean, he did. He was around the ball at Clemson. I mean, some of his
1: tackles were downfield. Um, he he's he seems to bounce back from the bad games yeah. pretty quickly. And he had obviously had a bad game against Navy. This would be personal for him since he was committed there. Knows a bunch of guys on the team. I mean, he broke a rib and ended up in this in the emergency right. room during the game last year. So there's a lot happening for him there. I. Um, they
0: need him to play really well. Yeah, I, think, I mean, they need him to play really, really well. I think competitive pride would elevate Max's game in this one. With the, As you mentioned, knowing everybody on that team and, and how it went last year. I have one more. I'm, I'm throwing in a fifth. Sorry about that, everybody. Will Fuller, and it's because I ask you of the Kaiser to Fuller against Mackenzie
2: Alexander not working out all that well, and now there's a Dory Jackson. All of the confidence. All I have all of the confidence. Oh, yeah. I, that Will I do too, a big because game. I don't I, I don't think Dory Jackson and McKenzie right. Alexander are the same player. I, I think McKenzie Alexander's on a much higher plane there and, and Will Fuller. I'm not saying that Dory Jackson's not good, but I think Will Fuller can have a day.
1: Yes, absolutely. All right, well Those we'll wish- get we'll get into we'll get into picks now that we've uh, we've
0: hashed out this matchup. Uh O'Malley, we'll start with you. I think you made a good point that
2: if uh He's pensive. Isn't no, I he? am. No, no, I,
0: I, I, uh, well, I, I. What was my good point? I mean, your good point was. We, I, we, I just want to go back to like when we, everybody <laughs> thinks one thing is going to happen, I get a little worried yeah. about making that pick. But I really have felt for the better part of this season that Notre Dame is going to handle USC in this game. It, it didn't. Cha- it got. It didn't change because Steve Sarkeesian left. I, I don't think it would have changed much. Honestly, I don't think they can be as prepared. I think if Notre Dame can settle into the game, we were, we were just talking about this off the air. Just don't go behind. Yeah. And you, they will put USC down in the in the thirty one to twenty range. I don't, I don't, think it's going to be a one score game when it's all said and done.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I like Notre Dame. I get the the circle of the wagons dynamic for USC, but instead of covered wagons, they're like
0: radio flyer wagons, and then Sheldon,
1: <laughs> they will just kick them over, and it's not it's not going to make a difference. <laughs> yeah. That that emotional edge that Clay Helton's going to try to create is not going to withstand more than two series in the game, and I think is. If Notre Dame gets up... I don't even know if Notre Dame needs to get up early. They just need to not get behind behind, early. In a game that's going to be about 40 degrees with your interim head coach. I mean, I think there could be shades of the Sun Bowl in this game due to conditions and the dynamics that are happening with USC right now. I also think if Notre Dame wanted to work itself up and do a frenzy here, they could play very tight. Because this is... It's not a lose-lose situation for Notre Dame. I don't know if it's a must-win, but it is a must-not-lose game for Notre Dame. They cannot afford to lose this game, not just for the season, but for where the program is right now. Um, I don't think they're going to lose it. I I like Notre Dame to win 34-20. I I think they're going to play well,
0: and I don't think this is going to be a dramatic game in the fourth quarter at all. It's funny you mentioned the Sun Bowl because I was going to write about the Sun Bowl in reference to Miami getting behind Notre Dame, but I think you're referencing the Sun Bowl where USC stopped playing. So yeah. There's two Sun Bowls at play, oh, I which thought, is odd. Yeah,
2: I thought you meant Notre Dame-Miami. Did you yeah, mean? I did.
0: You oh, you did. Okay, okay. okay. well, you, okay. USC that's had nice. a very bad Sun Bowl experience recently, if you recall. They, uh... Oh, no, I didn't.
1: Well, that's, I, I'm thinking more the Notre Dame-Miami Sun Bowl. That's the parallel to, to Saturday yeah. night when it's... 38 degrees at halftime, and Notre Dame's up 17-7, is Clay Eldridge just be like, I'm sorry, I, I got nothing for you guys. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> well, and I don't, uh, you know, I mean, this is, uh, the game's more complex than that. It's not a push-button game. I mean, I don't believe that there's any real feeling for Clay help for the players, and that's why I say, you know, they'll still play for a paycheck. But, I mean, I'm trying to decide... I guess I'm more uh, perplexed by over/under, which is 61 a and a half, which is an awful lot. Um, I mean, I definitely like Notre Dame to win this game, and I, and I just, I don't think they're going to succumb to what you're maybe suggesting there, Pete, that you know they're going to put pressure on themselves because the playoff bid is still on the line. I think they're going to play loose. I think they're going to play hard and I think they're gonna come away with a win.
1: Yeah, and I'm not I'm saying that's a possibility. Too. Right, no, you I know, understand. They kinda of worked themselves up to a lather in twenty eleven and sort of yeah, well, that was, psyched yeah. themselves up yeah, the game. That became kind of well,
2: they were kind of learning how to play I, a, I night, think, a big think night think game, the, you think, know.
1: I think the follow up from
0: last year's game at USC reduces the likelihood of that yeah. a lot. Another issue with that twenty eleven, not to get on that again, but I thought about that this week. USC was better than Notre Dame that year. Yeah. That season, yeah. they Notre were Dame a better which. team. <laughs> They're not this year. They're not. No No question. All right.
1: Well, that's it for segment one. We've got a whole lot of recruiting to discuss in segment two, so we'll get into all that next on Irish Illustrated Insider.
2: Segment two of Irish Illustrated Insider brought to you by irishillustrated.com is our recruiting roundup, and it's... Bigger and better than ever, Pete. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of recruit. There are happening. a lot of recruit. This is what uh, I mean. This is this is. Uh, it used to be way back when. It used to be the the banquet weekend. That obviously is obsolete now. Uh, it's yeah. this weekend with the USC. It's. Uh, it was funny talking to
1: Kelly on Tuesday about. I think Luce emoji, our old colleague, was kind of pressing. I'm like, you know, is there is there such a thing as too much of a good thing? Could you have too many recruits? How many are too many recruits? Not if you t- win. T- by tell me, it. tell me what the number is. <laughs> And he's like, yeah, there's a number, and we always break that
3: number. Um,
1: (laughs) But honestly, I think this list, if you just boil it down to the senior official visitors, is as manageable as they've had in a while, and it's very talented on top of that. like The commitments that they have coming in, 10 commitments are scheduled across the junior and senior classes. Those guys don't need a whole lot of attention. Um, It's not a group where they have to resell a lot of those prospects. So then you get into the official visitors, and there are 10 that really jump off the page. They're from seven states. Um, and within that group, the guys that are, I think, not on commit watch, but guys that I think Notre Dame really can and will make a good impression with. Yeah, Khalid Kareem, who's a defensive end from outside Detroit, who was committed to Alabama for a long time, decommitted recently. That had been in the works for a little bit. Now we'll be visiting... Dalen Hayes, who we've been talking about for two years, it seems like, the linebacker from Michigan, committed to USC, decommitted last Sunday. He was coming in regardless. Um, Now that's much more open. He also visited for the Texas game. He's set four other official visits, so it's not like this is somebody who's looking to come off the board right now. But he's doing early enrollment, so this isn't a situation that's going to drag into February either. He needs to figure out where he wants to be. Javon McKinley, really their number one receiver on the board out of California. Notre Dame feels like it has a sizable lead for him. Could he come off the board this weekend? Privately, yes. Kind of publicly, I don't think so. It could be like a Dante Vaughn situation where he visited for the Texas game, committed, but then waited a little bit more than a month to announce it. You know, and then you got a bunch of other guys. Jeffrey McCulloch, a, a linebacker out of Texas, his first look at Notre Dame. Talking to him at the opening and, and sort of seeing what he's about, I could see him coming in here and really loving it and feeling like Notre Dame's going to be a match. And then I think a fifth guy to mention, Devin Sudsill, the safety out of Florida, former high school teammate of Tavon Coney. Uh, he's visited. This is He was up for the, here for the Irish Invasion. He'll be back this weekend. We've sort of been waiting for him to commit for a while. He hasn't and doesn't seem to be in a rush to. And the way the Notre Dame's safety board is, is shaping up, I don't think they're going
2: to... I guess turn up the heat
1: on him to try to get him to announce. I like now. him
2: though. I think he's another quality safety, and you didn't even mention Akino Okiki, who's yeah. in, who will be in town as well. Where do they stand with him?
1: Yeah, I mean, I I would say Notre Dame is the leader there, and it's a question of whether he wants to come off the board now or not. He's you know Stanford is hanging around there. Stanford just picked up Chacho Uloa, who was a guy Notre Dame was looking at, who was a high school teammate of Javon McKinley, um, but Okiki. And Studstill, I think those are more the athletes Notre Dame needs at the back end. Okiki, in particular, maybe less so with Dante Vaughn on the board. If Dante Vaughn doesn't work out a corner, that's fine because he's still six foot three and right. safety right. for you. Um, but Devin Studstill, I, I like a
2: lot as a guy who could come in and compete for playing time very early in his career. In Notre so Notre they're there. I mean, they're in the mode that all these safeties come on, come, on, come yeah. on aboard. They, they need them. Obviously there's a, there's a shortage there. I was excited to hear about Khalid Kareem being interested again. I mean, apparently Alabama backed away from him. Uh, I mean, I, I can't look at defensive linemen the same way as safeties come on aboard. I mean, right. I mean, it, right? I mean yeah. you just, no you question. need them. And that's a really, really big body that you can station in the middle of that line. And, and, uh, you know, you got, uh, but Chauncey Gardner is also coming into town. Yeah, he's, he's... he scratched. There are a couple
1: scratches. Jauncey Gardner was
2: one. Then Noah Fant was another. Okay. He was a
1: kid who uh, was committed to Iowa from Nebraska, but Gardner he had talked about this for a long time, and I saw him at the opening. And I mean, of all the safeties on the board, he might have been the guy that I liked
2: the best. But uh, he's still committed to Florida. I ended up scratching the visit. Okay. And Dalen Hayes. I mean, obviously, like you said, I mean, he's not going to he's not going to decommit from USC and jump into. To anybody's backyard here, right away. But uh, um, I mean, obviously, Notre Dame's looking at the huge opportunity. Win the game, uh, charm the heck out of them, and maybe you can you can go a long way towards flipping. Yeah, it it's, here. I mean, it's his second visit in
1: basically a month and a half. Uh, wouldn't surprise me if he came back again, maybe for the banquet after the season. Um, and it's I mean, this is a kid. You got to remember, he said Notre Dame was his leader, and he nearly thought about committing before the Irish, the first Irish invasion a uh, year and a half ago and so he gets to come here he gets to watch Jalen Smith run around that's what Notre Dame's pitch is you can be the next Jalen Smith right. and there are very few players you can go to and say yes you can be the next Jalen Smith that is it's a reasonable proposition Dalen Hayes is athletic enough that that is a reasonable proposition he's a different kind of player he's much thicker than Jalen Smith was by about 25 pounds mm-hmm. but in terms of a linebacker who can run around with length, who can rush the passer, who can do give you a little bit of everything, Dalen Hayes is one of those guys. So if we're talking about Notre Dame's class in a couple months and suddenly Khalid Kareem and Dalen Hayes are in it, I think that changes the face and the perspective of this hall entirely.
2: And when I say the banquet's obsolete, I mean the way they used to recruit it. That used to be the first time you really entertained any players on an official visit. That that Those days are so far gone. It's just absolutely amazing how it's been ratcheted up and, and uh, you have to get ahead of the game, so... All right, well we'll we'll uh we'll obviously we'll have a lot of reports coming out of the weekend recruiting wise and, and we will will be handling the, the game coverage stuff and of course um 7:40 7:40 kickoff uh eastern time Saturday night we'll uh we'll we'll be we'll be back we'll be on the in the stadium uh a couple hours before kickoff to analyze this a little bit further as Notre Dame tries to stay in the playoff run and knock off USC. For Pete Sampson and Tim O'Malley, I'm Tim Priester, and this has been Irish Illustrated Insider brought to you by irishillustrated.com.